Would you guys grab your Bibles and go with me to Isaiah chapter 51, verse 3. Isaiah 51, verse 3. Now, what's interesting as we're, you guys are turning there to kind of introduce you to something, um, the gentleman that was doing the sound came up to me and he says, what picture do you want put up on the wall? And I said, well, I always want pictures of the mountains and I want pictures of aspens changing. And uh, it's kind of funny, I had forgotten what I was going to even cover, but I think this is a great picture of what the Lord is trying to communicate with us. So in Isaiah 51, verse 3, God in this prophecy that he's giving is he is beginning to come to the nation of Israel and describing what we would call the land of Israel and what God's intention for his people and how it looks like someone cultivating land. And so when I was a young child, um, my father was a landscape architect and we lived in Pueblo, Colorado. And when I wanted to make extra money with him, I would have to go with him on his job sites and either survey land or pour concrete or dig up and put bushes down or lay grass down and all that kind of fun stuff. And one morning, uh, it's my turn. Uh, we, we had to divide up because my brothers wanted to make money also, and so it was my turn to make money. We get up really early on a Saturday morning, which I always felt like was a sacrifice because I missed Bugs Bunny and all the cartoons that were on Saturday morning. And I get in, and it's, um, it's kind of a spring day, and we, we get in our, my dad's truck, that's what he used for architecture, and we start heading west outside of Pueblo, Colorado. Now, this is 1972, and we're, we're driving towards the mountains, and I'm like, huh, we're, we're actually leaving the city limits, and we're, we're driving into this desert area, and as we go there, my, my dad um, brings me to where um, a bunch of uh, workers have come and started clearing roads. And this is where my dad's next project is at. And then when we walk out into the midst of it, it's absolute just desert, desert in Pueblo. And we're looking at the mountains, and I'm like, huh, what, I, what? because I'm used to going to houses with them and stuff. And now we're in this desert. And what we're doing is he's... He's walk, I'm watching him, I'm standing by the truck, and he's walking out at a certain point and putting his um, surveying um, thing that he uses to like measure it, the, the um, telescope thing that he uses. And he's telling me, okay, so I'm following him, and we're going out to a certain point, and I'm holding up the stick, if you know what that is, and I'm having to extend it, and I'm there, and he's walking way over, and we're just measuring this large area of ground. Now, what was interesting is by growing up with an architect, I started, when I came to the Lord, I started seeing that God plans things before he does them. And when there has been desolation in people's lives, it's kind of interesting. God's kind of like an architect. He, he goes and he measures things in people's lives, and then he decides what he's going to do in their life to make it good. Now, that land that we were surveying is what is called Pueblo West now. So my dad was the initial architect that started working in Pueblo West. And listen to this passage here as we talk about this. Isaiah 51, verse 3. Indeed, the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places, and her wilderness he will make like Eden, and her desert like the garden of the Lord. 
Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the sound of a melody. Now, think about this. You and I, it's kind of like um, we get on this plane of salvation, and so we get on this plane with Jesus, and we fly somewhere. And if you guys ever go on vacation, what's the purpose of going on vacation? It's to get away from the cold, right, and go somewhere that's really pretty and jump in the water. Whatever you guys do for vacation, you're going somewhere intentionally expecting it to be better. Well, think about it. When we get on a plane, that's kind of like coming to salvation with Jesus. And when we fly somewhere, most of us just stay in the plane in this new place and never get out and ever go anywhere and explore what salvation is. We're, we're just grateful we got on the plane. Oh, I made it on the plane. At least I, I got away from the wasteland. Well, God has more intended for you, and this is what he's trying to actually communicate. What does it actually mean when God comes in your life and he looks at you and says, I'm going to build inside of you? What is God after? Now, let's look at it. It says, I will come and I will comfort Zion. The word comfort is interesting because there are several different ways that the word comfort is translated, different Hebrew words and Greek words for the word comfort. One of the words for comfort actually means to heal, but this isn't that word for comfort. The word comfort here means, are you guys ready? It means to breathe out with a sigh. So what, are, what is it telling us here? The Lord will breathe out a sigh, and the, the sigh that he's breathing out is a sigh, a sigh of satisfaction. Now, when God looks at your life and he comes near you, he, in a sense, breathes out and his expression brings like what we call a change in the wind. Have you guys ever been somewhere where it's freezing cold and the temperatures change and the wind is brought in a southern wind? And you walk out in it and you just, it's refreshing. Well, that's what the passage is beginning to say here. When God comes into people's lives, he changes the wind in their life. I, I don't know if you guys like stories, but I was, I was thinking as I was getting ready to do this, what's a good story to get this across? Do you guys remember the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe? Do you remember the four kids going through the closet? And they go through the closet. There are so many illustrations in that, but when they went through the closet, they put on these coats, and what did they want to do? They wanted to have an adventure, right? But they go into Narnia, and everyone in Narnia relates to them as kings and queens, and they're just there to have an adventure. And as they're going along on this adventure, and this has to do with this passage, um, their being in that land started changing the atmosphere of Narnia. And this wolf that was constantly, remember the wolf that was pursuing him? The white witch sent this wolf out to kill him and stuff. He, he actually stops at one point and notices that the snow is melting. And, the, and it fills him with rage to find the kids. Why? Because where Aslan had brought them there, they were divinely set up to change winter to springtime. When God comes into your life, he's intentionally bringing you out of winter to springtime. And, and it means that when God comes to you, he's going to change everything in your life. So what is going on in heaven is reflected in your experience on earth. Isn't that amazing? We always think about, I can't wait to go to heaven. But the Bible actually says meeting Jesus is heaven coming back to earth. 
and giving you a glimpse of what is coming in the future. It only gets better. Let's keep moving forward. He will comfort all her waste places. Well, what does that mean? What is a waste place? Now, it's different than wilderness, and it's different than def uh, desert. A waste plate is a place that actually used to be flourishing. It had a river going through it, and it actually brought forth different things, and it's been wasted. Now, what that means is it means that people have purposely come through and created chaos and destruction, and that is a waste place. Now, the Bible is trying to give you a picture of agriculture and life. So, you know, this isn't a wilderness. That's a natural waste place. This is some place that was flourishing at one point and has become dead. Well, what's the Lord's response to you and I in dead places in our lives? He cannot leave a dead place. Do you guys get how redemptive? When we say God is a restorer of all things, we're not meaning he just restores salvation to you. He goes into every place that used to be fruitful that's become dead. He can't leave it that way. He cannot leave it that way. And so he comes into the waste places where you used to flourish and enjoy something, and something came and decimated it, usually either by broken relationships or the enemies attacking our life, and we've just given up, and God says, I'm not going to leave it that way. I'm going to come, and I'm going to not only come into that waste place, I'm going to breathe on it again, and I'm going to raise it up to a higher place. Now, you, you, you guys, we see this all the time as we see the weather. We, we expect a time of things to be in wintertime to die and stuff like that, but we're always, what do we always talk about? What I talked about with five different people when I walked in here, I can't wait for spring. And what am I expecting when it's springtime? I'm expecting something to come forth and flourish again. And the Bible is saying here, when God comes into your life, he looks at everything that was, had potential in it, had possibilities in it, people ignored it, you didn't know how to develop it, and, and when he comforts you, he breathes into that again, and he says, no, I want that to come to fruition. I want life to come out of that. And it's part of being in that kingdom. It doesn't matter if you like it or you want it. He has to have it that way because that's what he does when he comes into a situation. I don't know if you guys are like this. How many of you think I can keep God from doing this kind of stuff? <laughs> you, you can't. God is, is a pursuer of restoration in people. He cannot leave people in brokenness. Let's keep moving on. Her wilderness, he will make like Eden. Now, what is wilderness here? Wilderness is really interesting because this is, this is used for the idea of um, a wilderness used to be a place where um, it was full of grass and animals used to eat or graze in it. That's what a wilderness is, at least the Hebrew word for this in this passage. And so God is saying at one point, this used to be a place where um, Wilder, uh, people used to graze, they, used to, they spent time just laying in the grass. This was a place where they expected to be comforted, they expected to be rejuvenated, and they expected to be refreshed. 
And, and then the Lord is pointing to an example, and he's saying, okay, so this wilderness, it, it was that time and some point in human history. I'm going to come back again, and part of me restoring hope is I'm going to breathe, and it's going to bring comfort, and I'm going to cause this restoration to happen to the land, and I want you to understand what I'm heading towards. Look at what I did in Eden, and then think about that coming to be a part of your life. See, we, that's why we're always talking about, I can't wait to get to heaven. But the Bible's saying, stop looking for heaven and expect God to break in on earth. Uh, a gentleman that was on staff with me, he's off in Illinois now, and um, he used, before he came on staff with Plumlee, he used to work for another ministry. And I was actually fascinated by this ministry because they used to go around the world and observe God's redemptive work in cultures. And there was this one place specifically, and I'm just going to kind of share this with you if I've not ever shared it with you. It was in the land of Fiji, and um, the, the king of the land decided that he was going to come to salvation. Now, in certain nations, when the king says, I'm going to become a Christian, he requires the citizens to become a Christian. And a lot of people think, well, that, you know, that's false conversion. You can't do that. But for some reason, his tribe really did get saved. Now, the first thing that the Lord did as a picture of this is God started drawing near to him, and call, which I found this fascinating when I heard this report. God called him every day, the whole tribe, to seek his face for an hour every day as a tribe before they went and did their normal work. Now, think about that. This tribe would seek the Lord. They weren't repenting of all their sins or any of that other stuff. They were just seeking it. And the one request they said they had was that their families would be restored. Now, what's fascinating about this is they, their, their culture, they lived right by the ocean, and their culture used to fish as livelihood. But the coral reef had actually been destroyed. And so they had an incredibly hard, they were, they were having a harder and harder time actually catching fish, which is actually their livelihood. And then on, and through the border of the town, they used to have this river but because of the tribes upstream, they put so much, uh, they used to throw their waste into the river. There was so much toxin in the river that no one ever drank out of or went anywhere near it. Right now, when they told me this story, it actually sounded so weird to me. I actually couldn't grasp it. I had to trust Adam wasn't a big time liar to me. He said, now get this, they're seeking the Lord as a community every day. They're not asking God to do anything with their land or any of this other stuff. They're just saying, would you restore our families? That's what they're praying for. One day, they said a group of women went out to the beach. They were uh, trying to mend the nets so that their husbands would go out and fish that night. And they said, <laughs> this pillar of fire came out of heaven, hit the beach, and went up and down the coral reef for 45 minutes. People actually just came out and observed it. And then it just lifted up. And they're like, what in the world? I mean, obviously it was something supernatural, but they're like, what's that? They found out that God restored the coral reef. Now, it even gets better. Uh, by the way, they, they even, so like I told you, these are going to sound almost too bizarre for you to understand. After the coral reef was restored, they'd go out and throw their nets into the water, and instead of having to try to find the fish, the fish would swim into the nets. How easy is that? 
And, it was, and you guys get it? They weren't asking God to give them fish. They weren't asking God to restore the coral reef. They were just seeking the Lord. This is what God did in response to them. What else did he do? By the way, they didn't ask for any of these things. This is what God did in response. That river all of a sudden became cleansed. Now, here's the phenomenon. I actually, I, if you guys ever sit around and try to figure out how miracles work, figure this one out. If you went on the other side of the border where the river was at, they actually had scientists come and take and do samples of the river, and they were extremely toxic. But when they stepped over the border onto their side, it was cleansed. And it would stay cleansed until it went to the other side of the border, and then it became toxic again. And that was a perpetual thing that was going on year after year. So as the water would come through their camp, it was cleansed where they could actually drink it. But if it was above it or below it, it actually went back to being toxic. Now figure that out as a miracle. <laughs> In fact, this gentleman I told you was on staff with me. They used to take people from around the world to Fiji. Could you imagine? This is how we are as Christians. To just go stand in the river. Because it was a perpetual miracle going on all the time. So they just thought, well, I, get, I mean, if God has a river like that, let's just stand in it and see if we get healed. Is that Now think about that. We, we hardly think, we, well, this is a symbolic picture, but what does it really look like? I'm telling you, I think my view, and I don't know if you guys are like this, my view of restoration isn't biblical most of the time. I just think, well, God's going to heal me, and he's going to make things happy, but the world's just going to still be this cursed mess but that's not how God does what he does on the planet. So, the wilderness will be made like Eden. God is given a picture. He's saying, now look, I gave a picture of what my intent was. And when I restore, that's my original intent. I'm trying to bring humanity back to this reality. So the question becomes for you and I, how much should we actually expect on this side of heaven? How much should we actually expect? Well, if God wants to restore the coral reef and God wants to do miracles and, and, and make things prosperous, we have to really take seriously, wow, maybe my picture of what I think God can do in my life and in my culture, I need to get it and get it to become biblical because this is the path God is on. Let's keep moving on. Her desert will become like the garden of the Lord. So it's using Eden and it's using the word desert. Now what's interesting is, again, wilderness and desert is different. Desert has... No idea except it's always been a wasteland. So this is, this is the phenomenon of Jesus. In a place where there's no productivity, God can't just leave it that way. He has to make everything that is in your life and in our community and in our... He can't just leave it as, well, there's always going to be cities where everybody just shoots everybody all the time and that's just the way it is. He cannot leave it that way. He has to actually come to it and say, I have to change this to the pattern of what I originally intended, which would be called a blessing. You, you just said, this place is a blessing. So God even, and I know I'm giving you natural pictures, but this is talking about your soul. Things that you don't even know God has intended for you. He's looking over your life and he's saying, I can't leave you unless I produce a certain thing inside of you. And I'm going to keep pursuing you until I get this from you. Isn't that amazing? Let's keep moving on. Now, all of these are natural outside picture God's saying. So this is a phenomenon of the passage. 
And when I looked at it, I thought, wow, that's, that's just really stunning what God's saying. He's saying in natural pictures that you and I can understand, God is saying you can actually observe his goodness. And then he turns it and he says this, joy and gladness will be found in her. Now, what if you go to a place like this and you can't enjoy it? And yet here it is beautiful, stunning. You should be falling on the ground, rolling around, laughing full of joy, and just want to sit there for like 10 hours at a uh, every time you go out and just drink in of it. But what if what's going on in your soul is so decimated you can't even enjoy something like that? So what, think about the, the restorative work of Jesus. What would be the benefit of God changing everything outwardly and inwardly? You're miserable. This is the work that God is doing. That's why he's using this picture of physical things to explain what is it like to actually walk with Jesus. And when he says joy and gladness will be found in her, he's moving from the outward expression of God changing the land to an inward expression of what is the field of your heart going to be like when God's moving in you. And he defines it, joy and gladness are not the same thing. So let's define joyness. Joy. You'll have joy. Now, as I was sharing with you last month, if you remember, Joy is grace recognized. So that means I would go into a field like that, I would look at the beauty of it, and as I observed it, my heart would open, and I would experience the blessing and the presence of the Lord. That experience of God's embrace is joy. So I fully enter into life because I get to see the beauty of what God does outwardly, and I get to experience the beauty of it inwardly, and it changes the atmosphere of my soul just like it changes the stunning beauty of the, the place I live in. How many of you had God take you to a beautiful place and you hated the, t the whole time you were there? I can't wait to get out of this place. See, God's kingdom is not like that. The restorative work that Jesus does... He doesn't take you into a place and then say, well, it's time for you to be miserable here. He takes you into a place and says, I'm going to produce joy here. Um, if you didn't know this, I was actually raised in Colorado. And Kelly and I were living in Car Springs. And the Lord visits me and says, I'm going to have you move to Kansas City. And, then you tell, and I'm going to tell your wife as a confirmation to you. And when you get home, she's going to actually tell you. And I remember thinking, Lord, what have I done to offend you that you would send any it was Kansas City have any of you ever been to Kansas City it's ugly compared to here compared to here it's ugly and I just thought oh I this must be God's disciplining me and now I have to spend my life on the backside of who knows where for who knows how long and guys uh, I don't know if you do this but I used to drive to the mountains on the weekends just to be in beauty when we got out there, I just thought, God must just be disciplining me. And do you guys realize in Kansas City, God changed me. He filled me full of joy there. I was, I was actually amazed that God could actually take you to a place that you wouldn't even think outwardly there's anything to do, but what he was doing in the spirit was so deep, there's just this reservoir of joy that rests on me when I'm in Kansas City. And everyone asked me, is it still really ugly? And I, and I have to be truthful. Yes. It's really ugly, but it's a land of joy for me and my family. Yeah, won the Super Bowl, that's it. Okay, let's keep moving forward. 
Now, most of you are observing outward things that God has shown his goodness to you. Do you see the, the progression here, how God described it? God breathes on you. This is salvation. He breathes on you, and he starts working on things that you can observe so that you can begin to recognize his goodness in your life. Then he turns his attention to your soul, and he says, it's not enough for you to observe. You now need to taste it. You need to experience it. I want to produce inside of you a grace awakening that's so satisfying that all of a sudden you internally carry something that reflects what it's like to be around me all the time. And it, so do you see the progression here? You're given joy, grace, recognize, and it's supposed to produce gladness. It actually means, if you guys can do this with me, it means laughing and being spontaneous and enjoying life. We have this tree in our backyard. It's a um, plum tree. And every spring, have any of you ever been around a plum tree in springtime? I, it's a I, I've never I love plums, and I've never, I wanted to plant a plum tree, so we planted it in our backyard. And I mean, this is just beautiful. I mean, guys, the, the flowers that appear first to attract all the bees and, and all that other stuff are just stunning. And it puts out this aroma that actually makes you, the first time I smelled it, I was like, oh my God, this is a, like a, a smell of heaven. I've never experienced anything like it. And I used to actually drag my family and my kids out, and we would just stand by the tree and begin to just lift our hands up in the air. And it was like, for a moment, we were just caught in a fragrance of this, this plum tree. And one day, I was going to go out to smell the plum tree. And my dog went out ahead of me. And I've never seen anything like this. I've never seen a dog do something like this. The, the branches were low enough that the dog was smelling the fragrance and he started, I, I can't I describe it, he started jumping up and down and running around in a circle as he was smelling the, the scent. <laughs> do you guys get it? The fragrance of what God's restoration should do in your life should be so pop palpable that it saturates you with gladness. And God's saying, this is what I do when I restore People get around you, and they smell that, that fragrance, and they want it because this is what you and I long for is that land that's full of joy, full of gladness. In fact, it says that God's intention is that it would be found in us. So if he's intentionally wanting it to be found in us, he's going to intentionally work on your heart until he's worked it into you that when people get around you, they think this is a good place to be. These people are good people to be around. I, I've never seen a group of people like this in my entire life. And then it, look at this, Thanksgiving and the sound of a melody. And so he's telling you, you'll, you'll see, now you'll see an outworking of the soul, you'll see an expression of it. Now, as a Christian, you have to learn about thankfulness and it's a practice you practice, but after a while, it stops coming out of a habit and it comes out of an enjoyment. I thank the Lord now because he is good. I don't thank the Lord because I know he's good. It's saying, 
once you enter into what God is doing, when you begin to see God moving outwardly in your life and working inwardly in your life, all of a sudden, you don't even think about, I ought to be thanking the Lord about anything. It's just what you are. People get around you, and it's like, oh, they do, oh, they're, they're never negative. They're just thankful about everything. Well, what is that? That's God's kingdom outwardly and inwardly changing you to reflect what you're going to be experiencing forever. I don't know if you guys ever asked this question. We'll finish with the last verse here. I don't know if you guys ever asked this question. How much of heaven's reality can be on earth before God comes and gives us the new heaven and the new earth? How much? Now, I'm always thinking, well, I guess he saves people, but we still live in these destroyed cities, and everybody's still shooting everybody, and we have to put bars on our windows, but at least we're saved. <laughs> God keeps trying to, are you guys ever having this experience? God keeps trying to change my picture. There was a gentleman, I'm going to share this with you. There was a gentleman named uh, George Barnum, if you know anything about George Barnum. And he, he was talking about trends he saw going on in the body of Christ. And I don't know if you guys are aware of this. Worldwide right now, this phenomenon is actually happening, this thing, Thanksgiving and a sound of a melody. There are whole entire people groups that you guys aren't even aware of that are filling stadiums right now, worshiping the Lord. They're not having Bible conferences. They're not having a speaker. They're just filling stadiums and worshiping the Lord. And it's been going on actually for the last 20 years. Were you guys aware of that? And it's starting to actually hit the United States. Uh, I didn't know if you guys knew this, but in the United States in 2020, 20 stadiums are being offered up for just days of worship in the United States now. Now, see, sometimes we just get caught in our everyday life and we think, is God really doing anything? Well, you can't turn on the news and watch it. They're never going to report that stuff. But God is doing stuff where he's drawing his people and he's, he's doing this part. He's singing a melody over the nations. Now, it says a sound of a melody. It almost looks like thanksgiving and a sound of a melody. This is what I produce, but the passage itself shows that the word melody here means, remember the first part of the passage? God, and when he breathes over you and I, all this starts coming out of him. The final thing it actually produces is a song from heaven that gets people's attention to be loved. So when God restores, he isn't just, wow, look how good he is outwardly and look how good he is inwardly. All of a sudden, I come into an orchestra and there's this constant music going on and it's coming from heaven and it's songs of love that God is continually singing over it and it hits the culture and it be releases a wave of the glory of God to come into the nations to hear the song. Did you guys ever consider that when you're sitting here worshiping, you're singing the melody of heaven, and it's actually washing over your community? <laughs> so good. I just, Donnie, the scripture is just so alive and so dynamic. Let's just study it for another six hours. You guys ready to do that? Okay. Let's wrap this up. So what is God trying to share with us? He's trying to share with you that the work he's doing in your life, it is not being wasted. You're not slowing down. There's no end to what God is going to do. His restorative work, is, he's pointing to things and alluding to things. Don't fall into a pit of despair because I'm always on the move and I'm always going to restore. And my desire is to point you to the best that you can actually experience on this side of eternity. So don't fall into the ditch of thinking sin is winning because it's not. 
Amen. Let's pray. Father, breathe on us now. Again, breathe on us. Let the, ah, man, let your comfort come over our waste, the wasted places in our soul. The wilderness things that have, um, that have been used up and we think it'll never come again, restore it back to its original and take it to the best it can be. And things that are, we're not even in touch with that you want to bring to life, awaken it inside of us, Lord. And I ask, Lord, that we would have a joy encounter with you. Now, God, tune us, really, in a sense, Lord, tune us to the frequency of your song. Let us begin to hear that melody, Lord. It's not a song of death. It's your song of life. Let us hear it. Now, some of you are actually experiencing a refreshing. It's kind of interesting. I, I'm feeling it, but uh, the Lord's actually showing me some of you are actually experiencing it. Uh, uh, it's like a wind of God's refreshing has come into you. If you experience that, if you're sensing that, would you just stand for a second? I'm going to pray a blessing over you. Just a sense of a refreshing is coming into your soul. And if you guys wouldn't mind, just put your hands out like uh, uh, you're going to receive something. Holy Spirit, increase it right now. Breathe hard upon us. Let the wind of comfort come on us. Let the wind of renewal come into us, O oh God. Strengthen us by your presence. Love that was once alive, that has become dead, awaken it again. Let your love become stronger than death inside of us, Lord. And I command the blessing of the Father upon you right now. In the name of Jesus, amen.